0: Welcome to The Talent Bubble, a podcast where HR, people ops, and talent acquisition professionals learn from their fellow colleagues in the trenches. We'll hear how they navigated their careers, learn about exciting projects they're working on, and discover the tools they use to get the job done. Learn more at thetalentbubble.com. I'm your host, Brian Mooney, co founder of JobHoney.io. Today's episode is brought to you by The People Ops Society. A private community of active people ops professionals that are working together to share resources, solve problems, and tackle hard decisions. Pops is a new age professional community that provides access to a full library of policy templates and playbooks, an online forum where peers ask questions and discuss best practices, and a catalog of short, peer-led classes available online 24/7. Apply at peopleopsociety.com. All waitlist submissions are reviewed on a rolling basis and new members are being accepted. Join the People Op Society today and become a member of the movement. This episode of the Talent Bubble is brought to you by ReMB. ReMB is reimbursement reimagined. Most recruiters can share horror stories about how long it's taken their candidates to be reimbursed for interview expenses, while well, ReMB has solved that problem. With ReMB, candidates are reimbursed the same day their expenses are approved, and this is pretty amazing. Candidates can even receive their reimbursement via Venmo. Visit reambi.com now to see why companies like Wayfair, DoorDash, and Peloton are using Reimbi to improve candidate experience and streamline recruiting operations. That's reambi, R-E-I-M-B-I dot com. is reimbursement reimagined. This week's guest in the talent bubble is David Vences. David has a degree in sociology, a background in sales, has matched over 1,400 people to jobs at the Startup Institute, and was even asked to be an advisor at ScholarChat. And today, David is the head of talent acquisition at Drizzly. I'm excited to share this episode because I remember leaning in while listening to David speak, and I hope you're able to take away as much as I did. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with David Vences. (laughs) What was the first job that you've ever had?
1: Great question. I guess I need to think about this for a minute. Um, (laughs) My mind goes to two places. It was either working at a flower shop in my hometown, doing odd jobs around sort of the back of the house, if you will, at a a flower shop. This is before I got my license to drive. Mm. Um, But then I think right when I got my license, I, I, I started delivering pizzas, which I feel like is probably pretty common for someone getting their license doing food delivery. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. I, I did, and, I, and then I was able to deliver flowers at the other job, which was a family friend who was gracious enough to um to to give me an opportunity to, to work there kind of like under the table. So
0: like many, it sounds like you kind of fell into a uh, talent acquisition, but i love to hear sort of like, what was that when you graduated college? What were you thinking that you were going to do and how did you end up Uh, being a a recruiter.
1: I haven't thought about this for a while, but I think it's so fascinating to kind of take stock on where I've ended up and how I got here and like, what are the (laughs) core just sort of motivators and principles that have guided me uh, to this place. And so I think it actually goes even further back than, than going into college. I was super fortunate to be the first member of my immediate family to go to a four year college and get oh, a degree. Wow. Neither of my parents had that opportunity. They were small business owners, you know, worked locally, worked really, really hard, but they were, they were working, you know, kind of just, you know, laborious jobs or, or whatever it might've been. And I, I had so many opportunities presented because of that hard work in the way of athletics in high school where I was a three sport athlete all four years of of high school. And then I pursued sports at the collegiate level, which admittedly going back was kind of foolish. You know, I I only wanted to go to college to be a sports star. And that was my biggest day. I wanted to continue to perform at a higher level. And of course, it was kind of cool to get a degree and so forth. But it was basically, I need to maintain grades so I can be eligible to play. Mm. And um, shortly into my stint that was excelling with sports in my first few years. But I think I kind of realized like, okay, like this ends in four years and like, I'm not going to go pro uh, probably. And I didn't obviously. And uh, I started to really understand the importance and the value of the education pieces itself and in my career trajectory from there. And so I think the transition from being an athlete, and this isn't uncommon for a lot of sales folks and people in you know, more sort of like action-oriented, potentially metrics-driven, competitive types of environments. A lot of athletes seek those opportunities. I was one of those folks as well. I graduated college in 2010, and this is like eerily reminiscent, the pandemic that is right now happening to to that job market. Um, I don't think it was as dire. It was not pandemic-driven, but we were going through um, pretty difficult economic times back then, right? So I graduated into an interesting job market, and I really had no idea what I wanted to do. I studied sociology because it really interested me, It totally challenged my perspective coming from a really small town in New Hampshire, very much a bubble and sociology intrigued me, but I never really saw myself going into traditional sociological sort of career pursuits, like doing more social work, you know, getting potentially my master's and then my PhD doing any sort of research, research work or political work. I never really saw that for myself. It was interesting, but I didn't really see myself doing it. So my first job ever was actually as an agency recruiter. And this was, if, if you know the, the movie Boiler Room or some of those like just really like kind of yeah. stereotypical sales types of movies, it was like a phone in your shoulder under your ear all day as a mandate, laptops closed. We didn't really even have computers. We were using too much. We had these cards we were calling um, with leadership in the Boston area for engineering. And I was trying to get companies to work with us to place candidates. And then I would go and I would find those candidates for technical roles. So it's a tech recruiter, full cycle at an agency, Mm -hmm. I did really, really well with it. um, But I I actually kind of burnt out from it pretty quickly. I think I lasted about nine months. I unfortunately had a death in my immediate family and that really was the driver of like, I'm gonna step away from this, take a few months of a break. I just graduated college nine months ago. The world's coming at me fast. This was hard work. And I just needed to kind of pause, so I did. And then when I came back to it, I realized what do I like about recruiting? What do I what do I identify with? And like other people would tell me, and I started to identify with being a salesperson. And like not the not the negative connotation version of sort of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross from that movie or uh, car salesman, but like I loved the hustle, the energy, the the relationship building, <clears throat> the aggressive goals and the metrics of it. And the fact that, of course, I was a young, whatever, 21, 22 year old, the money was interesting and compelling to make commission and so forth. So I realized I'm going to pivot away from recruiting. I'm going to get into sales. A lot of the same elements, but I'm selling a product, I can get behind, I can build a process. So I had a background in sales. I was managing sales team and my path was doing sales, growing into being a people manager. And then I had the opportunity to go do partnerships and program management at a technical bootcamp in Boston, which was really, really interesting for me at the time because I had a former colleague who was running the program. It allowed for me to kind of, tap into kind of teaching and mentorship, which I like doing from managing. And, you know, I grew up doing camp counseling and I always identify with kind of being a teacher and a coach in my sports days. So I really enjoyed being able to teach career changers, how to pivot into software engineering and UX design and in other positions. Um, And I also enjoyed being at the center of the hiring ecosystem with companies coming to hire our students from the camp. So I did program management there and partnerships. And in doing that, I came back around to talent acquisition, seeing just the, the many dozens of folks that were fundraisers and finance advisors and teachers and lawyers doing career changes and, and just like taking that risk and being really intentional with learning how to become software developers and join the, Innovation economy that got me such an interesting perspective from all these companies. This was 2016, 2017. Very competitive job market. They would come to hire these students because of the crazy high potential and how amazing their soft skills were and how intentional they were with skill building. So I got curious about talent acquisition and then I jumped to the other side. Um, I left the the the, the um, technical bootcamp and I went and I did some skill building because it had been a while since I'd done recruiting. I knew I wanted to own the function of talent acquisition at a growth stage startup where I could do recruiting. I could do some people operation stuff. I could do employer branding. Just I wanted a little bit of everything. So what I did was I actually went to Wayfair, and I joined a huge talent machine there. Uh, I was one of three or 400 recruiters, and I did some skill building for a handful of months. And then I joined my current company, Drizzly. They gave me a shot, took a risk on me and gave me the keys to build out talent acquisition at a growth stage company. And I've been here now for uh, about a year and a half and super busy, super challenged. But I attribute really the journey to getting where I am today to kind of being that young, naive, soon to be college grad, not knowing what I wanted to do pursuing, you know, a very people centric, competitive, high volume types of careers where I was constantly engaged and constantly using my brain. And it was all about connections and inspiring enthusiasm that just like has stuck with me throughout sales, throughout program management at the technical boot camp I, I was running for a while.
0: Um, I want to take you back to uh, Wayfair. You mentioned that you did some skill building. So can you, can you elaborate on that and, and kind of share maybe what you were working on while you were there?
1: When I was at Wayfair, I was doing high-volume sourcing and recruiting for analytics um, leadership. Uh, so managers, um, directors, associate directors, those types of positions. So it was, it was high-volume, but it was very much focused on higher-level positions. So my days consisted of getting high-volume targeted messaging out to passive job seekers across the entire country to start discussions for leadership positions in analytics at wayfair it was an interesting opportunity for me to go and be part of a system highly structured very process driven very data driven and understand just like sort of the piece by piece funnel approach highly measured on conversion stage to stage I, I got an awesome crash course in recruiting at volume for a massive publicly traded company growing really quickly for very strategic positions uh, but at volume and within with a rigid framework around um, just being process driven with recruiting which was really really fascinating and I, I take i take a lot of that with me with how i approach my work here at drizzly as well as being structured being process driven um, and, and and doing things that are highly measurable.
0: Last time we spoke, you had talked. Um, uh, we had talked about you trying to to solve for a problem in in removing bias from your recruitment process. I'd love to just maybe get a, a update on sort of how that journey is going. You know, things that maybe you've done so far, things you feel like work, feel like is working, um, or maybe even other places where you've you've gone to kind of learn about what you can do to remove that bias.
1: We've committed
0: to doing
1: blind assessments across all of our positions that are open at Jerusalem. And right now it's manual. Uh, Poked around a couple companies, haven't gotten super far with something that can really reach all of our needs, but we have... Aligned with leadership, our hiring managers on the just the, the the philosophy around doing blind assessments and why now more than ever, it's important to remove unconscious bias where we can. So what we'll do in our process is after a recruiter on the team speaks to a candidate where we can see and hear personally identifiable identifiable information, we will then do an assessment as a next step, which is going to be competencies or skills based depending on the role can look a little bit different, but the essence is the candidate returns something to us, ideally within 24 to 48 hours. We will ask them to remove their information and then we'll ensure that information is redacted as recruiters and then we'll hand uh, that assignment over to our hiring partners, who would be the hiring manager in this case, and have them review it for what it is. No information included, just the assignment. If it goes well, we will move forward and then the hiring manager will meet the candidate and they will get face FaceTime with them and they'll obviously speak with them and, and see resumes and so forth. And we'll go throughout the rest of the process. But um, that's what we're doing now. And I I think we're probably a little too early to tell how it's impacting our diversity goals in terms of filling in um, our gaps where we're underrepresented with certain groups at We We probably need to give ourselves to the end of the year, go six months out and see how diverse has our population become. And to be clear, the blind assessments don't add diversity to the funnel, but we are saying we know the blind assessments remove unconscious bias and it's kind of table stakes. I mean, the idea behind a blind assessment goes back, I think, decades by now to um, symphonies where symphonies were struggling with gender balance, uh, you know, heavily skewing toward male symphony performers. So they would do auditions with an opaque curtain dropped and all you could do was hear someone's performance you didn't know how to identify them and it showed improvement with balancing balancing gender representation. So it's this idea it's not new uh, companies I think are having opportunity to revisit now. We were doing this a few years ago at Drizzly. We got away from it a little bit uh, the past few years because we we're emphasizing speed. We had a pretty under-resourced talent team but um, we are we are very much committed to this moving forward to just level the playing field for candidates and do more skills based things with no identifying information uh, before we get candidates in front of hiring managers for the first time. And we're hearing we're hearing positive feedback from candidates. They're showing appreciation for something like this. Our hiring partners at Drizzly are largely invested in this. I know there are some questions around it, and it's a good opportunity for us to really reflect. But in general, um, there's been a lot of energy around just diversity within our candidate funnel. So it's it's just one thing we are doing on top of also thinking about our partnerships and our candidate sourcing efforts to create more equitable pathways for underrepresented minorities to also you know, get a foot in the door at Grizzly.
0: Can you share some of those initiatives for increasing diversity into the top of the funnel?
1: Yeah, and there are multiple things to be done. Uh, We wanted to get started with a handful of initiatives. So there's one angle to this where we know for technical positions, there's some amazing up-and-coming high potential talent and there are boot camps like Resilient Coders. They're a great friend of ours. They're based here in Boston where our headquarters is. And they do an extensive bootcamp model for people of color from underserved communities where they are actually paid a stipend. I believe there's no cost to uh, the students. I probably double check that, but they go through the program and they get trained up on full stack software development. So it's a great way for us to bring talent into our entry level roles and and grow them with Drizzly. So we're in a proper partnership with organizations like that. Um, There are also databases. Um, We are going to be trying Jopwell. Um, we're about to launch with them soon, and that's a database of Black, Latinx, and Native American candidates across the country to help us just have more of an identity within that community and show that we, we, we value these things. We want to create these pathways for candidates, and we want to start a discussion. So we'll advertise our jobs there, and we'll have a database of candidates that we can do outreach to. And then there are a handful of other databases and job boards we're working with. There's a, one we're excited about here in Boston called Black Tech Pipeline. Which is actually a resilient coders alum um alumni if i'm not mistaken and they're building a database of black technologists you know kind of job board style. So we're going to try that and then we'll try some um, there's one called women who code we're going to be working with them as well so again there's so many things we could do we want to get started so we can build a foundation and start to measure success by the end of the year with diversity being added to our funnel uh, but we also the biggest thing is we want to hire folks that are underrepresented today in our population. That's the goal. And I think it's a holistic approach to think about top of funnel, think about bias within the funnel in the process. And you really have to make sure there's total alignment with stakeholders and leadership. And we have that. So we're really, really lucky as a company to have a ton of energy around this right now. But now we need to try a lot of different things and be really mindful about measuring that as the years and approaches.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thanks for, for sharing that. Um, kind of piggybacking off that a little bit, um, could you talk about some of the other tools that you use to kind of organize your and uh, streamline your recruitment efforts?
1: Yeah, so a uh, big one, obviously, is our applicant tracking system. We use Lever. Um, we also, for sourcing efforts, we use uh, HireTool. Tool. Um, we'll use LinkedIn Recruiter here and there, um, just like probably most talent teams. We're using Slack daily to communicate especially in a remote environment, uh, with our interview committees, with our talent acquisition team, with our stakeholders, and obviously, you know, a handful of sourcing tools I mentioned, Jobwell, uh, Black Tech Pipeline, um, Women Who Code as databases for posting our roles. But uh, yeah, Lever, Lever we use very primarily for our reporting, our funnel metrics, and um, obviously organizing
0: the candidate flow. You mentioned that you have uh, just hired some people onto your team. What were you looking for in you know that addition to your team?
1: Yeah, so we've been insanely fortunate as a company to be in a position where we're we're hiring at such a volume, and so we really needed the support on the talent acquisition team to right size the organization against our aggressive goals. We've been we've been pretty pretty resourceful as an organization. Um, you know, Sometimes rec load has been, been pretty pretty heavy per individual recruiter. And so we have a an opportunity now to really right-size the organization. So we have hired two more full-time employees who are going to be talent acquisition partners. They are full-cycle recruiters. Um, we're going to be hiring another position to do sourcing. Now that we can hire in different parts of the country and we're committed to being remote optional as a company moving forward, uh, we can think about different populations across the country, but we definitely have an opportunity to think about reaching more diverse populations in states that um, have a different demographic makeup than where we are currently in Massachusetts and uh, our other hub is in Denver. So that's exciting for us. So we need a sourcer to help us think about how we can thoughtfully reach candidates across the country and have a strategy around it. Now, um, when I hire for talent acquisition partners, um, there are a couple key things that we stick to in terms of competencies for the role, which are the essential things we need to see for someone to be successful then we think about our principles as a, as an organization. And that's really our guiding, our guiding philosophy and like how we do our work. So, you know, for talent acquisition partners, some of the things that come to mind that I need to feel really, really good about if someone's going to make impact on the team and really add value and be a culture ad, a drive for results. I mean, no question. Um, it's a talent acquisition role. It's very metrics driven. We are working with a hiring manager and, managing a lot of different priorities. So having that drive for results, being able to measure work and lean into the right things is huge. Also, balancing stakeholders is really key. Any talent acquisition partner on the team is going to be working with at least three, potentially five different stakeholders who will be their hiring partners working on roles. So balancing stakeholders is really, really key. Um, priority setting, I kind of alluded to this earlier. Um, sizing up people. We need to make sure that you know people have just the right instincts and the, the right criteria for understanding a candidate's potential fit for Drizzly with limited interaction. Um, I think any strong recruiter needs to have that sort of DNA. Um, and then managing and measuring work. I mean, that's, that's super key. I think it ties together most of the competencies I've shared so far. Uh, understanding a process, understanding funnel metrics, understanding how to look at conversion stage to stage to, to really zoom in and use data as a guide on how we're doing against timelines for making a great hire. So those are competencies, but then principles to me are really important. It's kind of like, it's how we show up, how we operate and what our talent team's brand should be. So the, the key things there we expect, uh, one is for our talent acquisition partners to be a partner. We title the role talent acquisition partner very intentionally. It's, it's certainly doing recruiting activity for sure. Um, and I know there's a debate about sort of what to title folks, but we very much, operate as partners and so being a partner is front and center for how we operate as as a talent acquisition team second um operating with empathy really really important we are all about human centered work we are part of drizzly's people strategy for who and how we hire so that means we're interacting with humans inside and outside of drizzly all day every day And in some of their most critical moments, whether it's candidates, whether it's hiring managers making their first hire or their 10th hire, these are critical career moments. And so operating with empathy is really, really important. It's also a reflection of Drizzly's brand promise of being there when it matters with a commitment to life's moments and the people that create them. And it's an extension of our values as a company. So empathy is big. Candidate experience is big for us too. So we, we say candidate experience wins. Again, operating with empathy, being thoughtful with timelines, being thoughtful with cadence of outreach, being communicative, even when you don't have updates for candidates is, is big. And it goes a long way. And people remember those things. Um, challenging respectfully is big. That goes into balancing stakeholders and being a true partner, being a consultant. Uh, and then lastly, I'd say data as our guide. I mean, data as our guide is is uh, another principle to say, data doesn't do talent acquisition's job. Uh, it doesn't ever tell the full story. It maybe answers some questions, but it might actually help you ask better questions. And I think when you're doing high volume recruiting, using data to better partner, to make process improvements, to measure um, is super key. So those are the things I think about as principles, um, as well as the competencies I mentioned for um, how we hire talent acquisition partners on the team.
0: Is there anything like as you were kind of thinking about uh, this or maybe just even as you've been walking around thinking that you kind of want to share with with this type of audience, with other like talent acquisition and uh, HR folks?
1: Folks in talent acquisition in a situation like the pandemic with a very devastating amount of unemployment, it's such an interesting time to to revisit what partnership means, both to candidates, but also internal stakeholders. Um, If you're in a recruiting function right now at a company, there is certainly an abundance of talent on the market. There are thousands and thousands of people who have to no fault of their own, not a performance issue or anything. that you know They have found themselves unemployed, which is really hard to swallow. And it's actually tough sometimes being a talent acquisition person, talking to folks daily, really trying to show up with empathy and be present and absorbing that. Um, it's so, so hard because we as town acquisition professionals, we're looking for the best in people. We want to see that. We want to help. We want to get people to their dream jobs while also doing right by the business. And there's just so many really, really sad stories we, we hear. And so being present and empathetic with candidates and then expectation managing internally with hiring partners who may be a few layers removed From sort of what's happening in the job market right now. I think there's a lot of excitement on this is a great time to capitalize on getting great talent, you know, like, before it was really hard to get people to respond to cold outreach as passive job seekers, you know, before before March, um, and now it's total opposite, it's totally flipped, but that doesn't make it any easier. I don't think, I mean, it's my perspective that it's actually gotten harder in different ways to manage a funnel, be empathetic, show up and be consistent with candidates and be timely and be present and you know, just navigate people's situations where I think folks are more flexible than ever in their job search to land something great, even if it's not totally in line with what they've been doing, because they are in such a a dire situation and it's really, really, really sad. So managing that is so interesting. I think talent professionals have a whole new level of responsibility to show up for candidates and do right by them and, and meet the moment that we're all in and also better partner internally with hiring managers on needs of roles and hiring plans and doing so in a way that is mindful about what candidates are going through right now, and also understanding the opportunity to really get super tight on competencies and needs, not inflate our list of just those unicorn candidates on, I know you know, we know they're out there, they have an MBA and a PhD, and they've used this programming language and this one, and they've worked in consulting. You wanna do right by the business, it's important to be specific and be be clear, Um, but I think it's a good opportunity for us to revisit a different layer of competencies and values in candidates, and just revisit how we're assessing folks from an internal lens. So I could talk about that for a while, I think, but it's something that I think is just interesting. And I'm definitely curious to hear what other talent professionals are thinking about um, during these uncertain times, where there are so, so many great candidates on the market, and how we operate as partners, both to candidates, but also you know to our hiring managers internally, um, who have needs, but may not be front and center to
0: the candidate experience. Well, David, people wanted to maybe learn a little bit more about anything you mentioned or uh, reach out to you. What's the best way for them to, to reach you?
1: Yeah, I would, I would absolutely love to connect with folks and chat some more, kind of taking my own advice that I just shared. Um, LinkedIn, I'm super active on. So a connection request with a direct message there. My email is David.vensis at drizzly.com. And those are, those are two great places to start. I'd love to network.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks again for your, your time. I appreciate it. And good luck with the with the growth at Drizzly. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Brian. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Talent Bubble. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. If you want to help the show, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Thank you so much and be well.